we thank you because you know nothing catches you off guard, nothing surprises you, nothing worries you, and nothing is bigger than you. And so as we stand in the face of our mountain, or maybe the dark valley, or maybe just on flat ground, we know that you're there. Thank you for knowing where we are at, what we are dealing with, our emotional stresses, our physical problems. And thank you that the victory has already been won for us. We just need to continue moving in your direction to experience more victories in our life. And God, I recognize really quick that the victories that you have planned for us may not look like victories in our mind's eye, but they will always be victory when you gain the glory and the honor. Thank you for what you're doing here at our church. Thank you for what you're doing in the leadership, in the congregation, just in our own individual lives as we follow you. Thank you for just knowing. We love you, we praise you, and we invite you to continue to move in today's service. In Jesus' name, amen. So forever we will say
silence just for a moment we just want to be thankful Lord allow us the freedom in this moment to retrace our steps over the last week over the last month the last year last few years and recall the things that we should truly be thankful for Lord for me personally you have given me grace where I needed it most. You've given me wisdom when I didn't know what in the world to do. You've given me courage that I didn't realize I had. Your help is just unreal. And God, I watch you do amazing things in people's lives and I get to be a part of that and I am so thankful for you and your power and your majesty and your glory and I just want to personally right now in this moment between you and I just to say thank you thank you so much 
for the things that you allow my little eyes to see, my heart to experience, my mind to think. Lord, I am nothing without you. And yet I see you at work in so many different ways. And I count it a privilege and an honor and I just want to express my deepest gratitude to you today. Because you deserve all the praise and all the things that are going on and all the things that are happening. And Lord, I know in the hearts of those that are here today and those that are listening in, Lord, they have deep-seated things that they are so grateful for. Lord, I am grateful for the tough stuff that you've allowed me to endure, the hard lessons, the hard conversations, because I know in those moments you are refining me. You are allowing me to experience something of you that I wouldn't be able to experience any other way. And so I praise you, the great God and King that you are. Because you are so worthy of our praise and the honor and the glory to lift our voices to you and to you alone to humbly submit our hearts and our ears to hear your word today. You are so worth our time, Father. (laughs) Thank you so much for being so consistent and so faithful and so strong and so sure. God, I'm just so happy and content to be in your presence. Forgive me when I step out and try to do my own thing. Remind me consistently how good it is to be in you. Thank you for what you have in store for us today through your word. Thank you for getting us to a place to hear you effectively today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. We're continuing our study, our crawl through the book of Matthew. Hopefully someday we'll get out of 21 and can actually get into 22 and we'll see how far we get from there. The churches I grew up in, or the church that I grew up in, was very uh, careful in how they allowed us to dress, if I can say it that way. They were strict, man. When we would go to Carowinds, which is kind of like our North Carolina version of Six Flags, we as teenagers were not allowed to wear shorts. We had to wear pants, jeans, khakis. Uh, back when I was a teenager, we had parachute pants, kind of like the athlete. Why is that funny? That's what we called them. They were thin. They allowed you to breathe. They were great. They were a lifesaver for a teenage boy who could not wear shorts. When we played basketball in our church gym, couldn't wear shorts, which just blew my mind. Anywhere we went, we had this strict dress code that we had to follow. And early on in my teenage years, and and, and even with Sally, man, we fought it tooth and nail. We even had a meeting one Sunday evening with our pastor trying to help him understand why it was important for us to be able to wear shorts on some of these events. And he was very convincing as to why it wasn't. Mainly because he was the pastor and it was his call. So we said, fine, but man, we, we just fought it all the time. And I cheated myself out of so many events because I was so worried about what I wasn't able to do, how I saw certain things, that finally I came to the realization, God just kind of enlightened me one time. Thankfully, it's been more than one time, but at least in that moment. And he said, Alan, what is this really about? 
You are missing out on so many things because you're worried about what you can't do. Look at what you can do, even if you have to wear pants. It's not that big a deal. And when I was able to surrender to the idea that, yeah, it may be very legalistic for me. It may seem very um, constraining to me. It may be something that I just don't like. But if I can just submit to this idea that they have my best interest at heart and they mean well, they have good intentions, and that I am cheating myself out of something that I would really enjoy because I'm too busy fussing, I submitted to the idea of just go with it. Surrender to what they're asking you to do because they have a bigger responsibility before God in leading me. When I was able to surrender to that, I enjoyed so much more. So much more. In fact, I continued, after I made that decision, I continued to watch my friends fuss and complain. I had a a really good friend of mine. We were on a mission trip and we were out playing in the ocean. And for guys and girls to play together, our church said, hey, you got to wear pants and um, a shirt. So I'm like, dumb, but I want to go in the ocean. I want to play with my friends. We're on a mission trip. We're in Mexico. Let's play in the water. So we did, but my friend sat on the beach because he didn't like the rules. And he pouted and he fussed and he moaned and he missed out on a wonderful opportunity to hang with his youth group in the waters that we were in. It took me a while to get to that place to fully submit. And there have been things all along in my life that I've bucked, that I didn't like, I didn't care for, I didn't want to acknowledge that, yes, that's the thing I wanted to do because it wasn't what I wanted to do. But when I submitted to the things that Scripture has asked me to do, even though I may not want to do it, there is a freedom that is experienced in it. And so many times we question so much stuff. We question so many things because it it doesn't look the way that we want it to look. It doesn't feel the way we want it to feel. It doesn't fit my understanding and we just push against it. It could be because we haven't fully surrendered. It could be our vision is off. It could be we're just being stubborn. And so today, here's what I want us to look at. Surrender self. Simple two words to say, extremely difficult to do. There are still things to this day that I struggle with surrendering to because I don't like it. And if we're really honest, that's the main reason we rebel against most things that we are asked to do. We just don't like it. And there are a lot of things in our world that I can say, stick to your guns. But when it comes to scripture, you need to grow up. It's not about you anymore. It is about going after righteous, holy living. And the things that we've been asked to do in scripture are to help us, not to hinder us. And we as believers, true followers of God, need to make the conscious choice and effort to surrender ourselves. So let's get into scripture. Let's see where we find Jesus now. Because remember last week we looked at him cursing the fig tree, the fig tree dying. And the disciples were like, what? But now he has entered back into the temple. And now he's being confronted by the religious leaders. The smart guys. The ones who know the law inside and out. 
Now we're going to see in a little bit that historically they actually started out legitimate. Like for real, they were solid. They have good reasons as to why they were taking the stand that they took. But the problem is they lost focus on the way. In verse 23 of Matthew chapter 21, we find this. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? It's a fair question. He's doing some cool stuff. Like he's healing the sick. He's raising people from the dead. He's teaching in a way that people are responding to. He comes into the temple and and overturns the tables, which was a big no-no because they were making money and he didn't care for that. They liked it. He didn't. Maybe they caught wind of him zapping a fig tree. But they ask, why, how, by what authority are you able to do these things? And by what authority, who gave you this authority? And Jesus answers and says to them in Jesus' fashion, I also will ask you one thing. Now, how many questions did they ask him? Two. He's like, I'll sum it up in one. Which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll answer one of them if you answer one of mine. So you tell me this. The baptism of John in verse 25, where was it from? From heaven or from men? He simply says, all right, I I hear you guys. I know you want to know by what authority I'm doing these things. How can I do this cool stuff? Who gave me this authority? Here's what we'll do. We'll play a little game. I'll ask you a question, and if you answer it correctly, because obviously I already know the answer, then I will answer one of your questions. I will let you know by whose authority I am able to do what I do. Seems fair. And so he asks them, I tell you what, here's the question. John the Baptist, popular guy, everybody likes him, everybody's gone out to him, maybe you've gone out to see him, but phenomenal man. Who gave him authority to baptize? Does it come from heaven? Or does the authority come from men? Watch their response. They reasoned among themselves. In other words, they had a conversation. They talked. Saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? Because, think about this, what was he preaching? He was preaching the baptism of repentance because someone is coming that is greater than I. And so for them to acknowledge that the power, the authority, came from heaven to John, it would validate his teaching that one was coming greater than he, and they missed it. And they knew it. Verse 26, But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. He says, but but if... We say that the authority comes from man. Now we've just discredited John the Baptist that he's really not from God, that he doesn't have the authority that he has. And now we're going to cause a stink among the people, which the people were very important to them. Here's a little caveat. Isn't it interesting that the thought and attitude and the concern of the people was more important than the truth? Verse 27, so they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. 
Now, we, we giggle at that because I giggle at that thinking, yeah, you do. And the reality is they probably really do know the answer, but they probably really don't know the answer. They don't know which way to go. They know they're busted. They are trapped. And so they legitimately have no idea how they're going to answer this man to get the answer they want. And so they just say, we don't know. And he says to them, love love this. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You didn't answer my question. So I'm not going to give you what you're looking for. And the sad thing is they should have already known. These are the religious leaders, the ones that study the law. They know all these things. They should have known. But Jesus, being the kind, generous man that he is, gives them an analogy, a parable, a story. He says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, like most teenagers, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went, again, like most teenagers do. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go, again, like a lot of teenagers. Which of the two did the will of his father? So there's two sons. The father came to them, first one, and said, hey, go do some work. The first son said, absolutely not. But then after some time passed, he regretted the way that he answered his dad and realized it was his responsibility to go. So he goes and he does the work. The second son says, absolutely I'll go, dad. And never thinks about it again. And Jesus says, which one did the true will of the father? And they said to him, the first. Jesus said to them, assuredly I say to you, That tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Man, he went from top of the barrel to the most bottom part of the barrel and said, the ones at the bottom are going to get in before you get in. That's huge. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. He said, listen, you guys have already had the truth. You had John the Baptist teaching you and preparing the way, helping you understand that, the, that I was coming, basically is what he's saying. And you totally just did not pay attention. But those that went out to him... And received the baptism of repentance. And believed in what John was saying. They received something. And when you watched it. When these religious people. You guys saw what was going on. The change in their life. Hearing John's testimony of what was to come. Seeing the tax collectors and the harlots. Change their mode of living. Still wasn't enough. And you did not repent. You did not relent. And turn back to the teachings of John the Baptist. Listen, there are good people who are living good lives, doing good things. And when they hear the gospel of Christ, they look towards their good stuff and they do not repent of the sin that exists in their life. They hear it and say, Amen, yes, preach it. But they walk out of here no different. That's concerning to me. 
Because we're full of good people. I know that. We're full of people who have at least a general understanding of what it means to follow Christ. We're full of people who are sold out. What I don't want to be full of are people who know the truth, know what they're supposed to be doing, amen me, and then walk out of here no different than the way they came in. I don't want to be full of people like that. I want to be full of people who are willing to hear the truth and say, yes, Lord. Forgive me for this. Help me with this. I surrender this to you. It's just an interesting, interesting story. So let's tear it apart just a little bit. Here's the first thing that we see. Why do we question Jesus? These are the religious leaders, right? These are the smart guys. These are the guys that know the the law. They know the prophecies. Why are they questioning Jesus in the way that they're questioning? Why do we question Jesus in the way that we question him? You guys are getting solid teaching. Hopefully you're in the word on your own, experiencing the spirit of God, hearing from him. But yet we still question him. And listen, there's nothing wrong with asking questions to God. Let me just clarify that really quick. You can't learn unless you ask. But it is the tone and in the manner in which you ask that can be the problem. Ask away. Listen, we have a God who sits on his throne that wants to give wisdom liberally. He wants to help you understand. He wants to help you get through whatever you're going through. Ask. But be careful in the manner in which you ask. These guys aren't asking for knowledge. They're asking and trying to trap him. And so why do we question Jesus? Here's the first thing. There are three things that we're going to look at real quick. Before we move on to the parable. First thing is, we don't like what we see. Look look at the verse. By what authority are you doing these things? They didn't like what he was doing because it was different from them. We question stuff because it doesn't look right. I question the reason of having to wear pants over shorts because it didn't look right to me. I didn't like the way I saw it. I didn't like the the things that I could see. We question things because we don't like the way it enters our eyeballs. Amen? And so when God does things that are way outside of our reasonable scope of what we think he should do, we question it because it's not what we think we should be seeing. That's why we question. Because it doesn't look right. There's a lot of things that don't look right in this world. And God is maneuvering behind a lot of things that we can't see. That's why we should surrender to him. Here's the second thing. Our focus is different from his. Our focus is different from his. When we talked to our former pastor, my focus was not a religious focus of wanting to wear shorts. I just wanted to be able to run. And play and not sweat to death. But our pastor's focus was modesty. I want to teach you that you can still have fun in whatever you're wearing. It's about your mindset. But my viewpoint wasn't that as a teenage boy. And so I had to surrender to one who had wisdom. One who saw things a little bit different. One that was doing things that are making decisions that I didn't agree with. Because he didn't see it the way that I saw it. But I had to surrender to it. They ask the question, who gave you this authority? They just assumed Jesus was doing his own thing. 
And what they failed to see was the true authority that was already placed on him all the way back in the prophecies. The very prophecies and law that they already knew. And they missed it. And so we question Jesus a lot of times, not just because we don't like what we see, but because our focus is way off. We're not getting what we want. It seems unfair. It doesn't look right. We must change our focus in order to change our view. Here's the third one. This is a big one for me. We are worried about the fallout rather than the truth. Again, the passage talked about, if we answer this way, then we discredit John. If we answer this way, then we don't believe what we say we believe. Can I, can I just help you with something? And this may be super simple and maybe common sense to you, but truth is always best. Truth is always best. It is the thing that will set you free. When we stand on truth, there is nothing that can come against that. And so we as believers, as individual believers and corporately as believers, as Townsend Church, we need to not worry about the fallout of what others will say, but we should always worry about standing for truth. And a lot of times we question Jesus because we're too worried about what our friends are going to say. What are my coworkers going to think? What's the world going to do to me? And those are reasonable fears. Don't don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Those are reasonable emotional responses that we all humanly have. But that's the sole importance of full surrender. It can't be based on how I feel. Because if it was based on how I feel, I'd still be laying in bed this morning. It must be a full surrendering to the Spirit of God because He knows what's best for me. It can't be based on how I see it or where my focus is at or what I'm afraid of what everybody else is going to think. I must be concerned with what is the truth and by what authority will I stand on that truth which will always be the name of Jesus and do I care what anybody else will say. That's just the first few verses. And so Jesus is trying to help these Pharisees, these important men, see the truth of, of where they are at and to see the, the validity of going after truth rather than sticking with their false notions. So we have to ask ourselves, why are these guys so important? Why are they so vital to this? Well, think about this. They actually came about 300 years before Christ. And here's why. They were protecting the Jewish law from the Greeks. The Greeks were trying to convert everybody and change the law. And these men, apart from any other organization, took a stand for the Jewish law to protect it. Their initial intention and decision to do the right thing for truth's sake was spot on. And they stood up. And they created this this entity to protect the validity of the Jewish law, to protect their, their history and whatever was coming. They intentionally did this. But they became the sole authority of the law, which led 
to control for conformity to the law. It's kind of like that power thing when you get elevated to a certain amount of power, then you want everybody to do it how you want to do it. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. Your wives do it all the time. Just kidding. Just kidding. At least in my house, that's the way it works. But you know what that feels like. I don't have to explain that to you. That's exactly what happened to these men. These men got this this authority under their belt of protecting the truth. They were warriors for spiritual truth, for the the truth of of the scripture, of the Jewish law. And they became this sole authority that just elevated them to this mindset of, we're it. And it carried on. And they became to the place that they were more worried about their protection of the law than understanding what God was trying to do through the law. They were more worried about what people were going to say and how bad they were going to act rather than loving them through the law like Jesus does. And then it ended about 130 years after Christ with the destruction of the temple. There was no need for them to be there anymore. It's interesting to me that these men took a stand on what they believed to be true. We should take a stand on the things that we believe to be true. But if we're not careful, we can become very pharisaical in the way that we live. And I'm not interested in that. Not interested at all. If anybody should have took a stand... Take a stand for Jesus, right? If anybody should have known that he was coming, if anybody should have liked what they were seeing, these guys should have liked what they saw, right? This man is coming and he's speaking love and kindness and gentleness, showing peace and patience and kindness to anyone that needed it. He was healing the sick, raising the dead, forgiving sinners, They should have loved what they saw because that's the law. If anyone should have had the focus of God, these guys should have. They know the law. They know the prophecy. They were living it. They were preaching it. These guys should have had it. If any of them should have been worried about truth over the the social response, they should have. And they didn't. What a prime opportunity that they absolutely botched. These guys knew the Jewish law better than anybody. They protected it for over 300 years. They gave their life for this thing. And they should have been able to see through it to what God is doing. To have the focus that he had. To not worry about what anybody else was going to say. But the protection of the law. And they missed it. <coughs> it tells me. That if I'm not careful, I can get real passionate about truth. I can see what God is trying to do, but get so focused that I'm worried about everybody else and what they're thinking and feeling, and I lose sight of what God is trying to do if I am not careful. The Pharisees should have recognized Jesus as the Son of God, but their religiosity blinded them to the truth. It's a really big word, religiosity. I kind of like it. It's fun to say. But I never want to get so stuck 
in the formalities of church that we lose sight of what Christ is trying to do through the church. There are lost people that need to be reached, and it is our responsibility to reach them, to take the gospel to them, and invite them in so that they may come and see what God is doing here to encourage them to go and live all that he's have for them to live. So we get to the parable because Jesus is like, let, let, me, let me give you a story. And he gets to the son number one, which we've all had these children and these co-workers and sometimes us, where we just absolutely say no to whatever's been asked. Right? We say no, not doing that, not happening. But then we begin to think, because we're reasonable people, we have a conscience, we think through things, hopefully. And he has a change of heart. And he begins to regret telling his father no. You ever regret telling your parents no? Got teenagers shaking their head no, man. Charlie, you can't retire yet, man. We got work to do. Let me ask you a bigger question. Do you ever regret telling God no? I have. Still comes up to this day that I have to work through it. It's a very unpleasant, unsettling way to respond to the Father. But there are times where I've told him no that I've sat on it and I've thought about it and I've thought about it and I've thought about it and I've regretted telling him no and I come back and I say yes. Now, it would have been much better if I would have just submitted in the beginning and stayed true. But in this example, he is giving two examples of two men who gave two different answers and then did two different things. And I will take this any day of the week. I will take it even from my own kids. I've learned that with my boys, and especially with Emma, if she gives me a no or an answer that is unfavorable to me, I know that if I don't push it, they will think it through and come back, which is really good. That's not because we're awesome parents. It's just because the spirit of God that lives within them is phenomenal. And sometimes it gets under my skin when they tell me no, because I, I really don't like that word. I love to say no, but I don't like to hear no. <laughs> but it is encouraging to me to watch the thought processes, the wheels start turning. And then for them to regret saying no and understanding all that Sally and I do for them and for them to come back around and actually do what we've asked them to do. There are times to push and there are times to stand back and let them figure it out. But then you have that second son, right? Son number two, who says, yes, oh yes, I would love to do that. I would be so happy, dad, to do that for you. Only to never even consider it again. (laughs) Now hopefully that's never been said of us. But I'm not so naive to know that we've done that. Now sometimes it's that innocent, true forgetfulness where we've said we're going to do something and we just totally forget. Because I do that a lot. But I hope and pray that none of us ever say yes to someone's face with the never intending on actually doing it. By the way, that's called lying. 
We'll just throw that in there. They just came back with a hard no. With never intending on doing it. And Jesus asked the question, which one of these sons, which one of these sons were more respecting to their father? And obviously it's the first son. We know that. Because even though they didn't like what they were asked to do or what they saw they were going to have to do or their focus was a little bit differently, different, they at least said, you know what, I'm going to surrender to my dad and I'm going to go and do what he's asked me to do. The other never gave it another thought. Listen, I know that there are times where at the end of a sermon, God has been working on you all sermon long because I can watch you. And I see those that are squirming. So you don't do a very good job of hiding it, but that's good for me, so please don't. (laughs) Wrestle. Wrestle with it. Don't just say yes and then walk out of here never intending on changing a thing. Wrestle with it. Say no for now. Say no, but can we talk more about it? Say, hey, I don't know. Help me understand it. God is so willing to work with you right where you are to take you where he wants you to be. I told him no about preaching long before he actually came back again. Literally seven years before he came back and asked me to preach again. Seven years that he slowly worked on me. Gave me little opportunities to say yes and fulfill my yeses. But on that no, he came back around and after many years of regretting my no, I said yes. And let me tell you how freeing that was. It was the best thing I'd ever done in my life. To be able to say yes to a father who loves me, who wanted to use me, who knew me better than anybody else. And the question that these Pharisees, I'm sure, were asking is, how in the world can they get there before me? I'm the religious leader. I'm the one that knows the truth. I'm the one preaching. I'm the one teaching. I'm the one holding to the law and protecting it. How can those sinners get there before me? It doesn't say that they won't get there, by the way. Did you know that? It says, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. But how can that be? There are harlots and tax collectors. The worst of the worst, the bottom of the barrel. And Jesus says, they're going to get there before me? Yeah. Because they saw the error of their way and turned. By fully surrendering. What you have done is you thought you turned, but you stayed in your own mode of transportation and you're doing it your way. Comes down to repentance. That's a really big churchy word, right? Repentance. Repent! You know what repentance really means? You should feel awful about what you did and stop it. You should internally just be eat up knowing that you, as 
disobeyed your Father in heaven, has done something that's against his will for your life. And you should feel so bad that you just want to get so far away from it, you do a complete 180 and you head in the opposite direction of what you were involved in, never to return to it. That's repentance. A lot of times what we do is we're just asking for forgiveness. Repentance is stopping to never do it again. We're just putting a band-aid a lot of times when we ask for forgiveness. Look at these verses here. For godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians says, produces repentance. Now, does that mean we all have to be moaning and wailing and, and just all emotional? No. Some of you will. Some of you should. But not everybody's going to react the same way. But internally, we should be crushed. Godly sorrow produces repentance, what? Leading to salvation. Now this is talking about the initial decision of learning that I'm going to die and go to hell and I need a savior. And so I am repenting of my sin. I'm turning away and leading me to being saved by God. But it can also refer to the idea of if I am turning away from that sinful thing that has wrecked my life and I'm repenting of it, I am being saved from it because it will destroy me. And notice what Paul throws in there. Not to be regretted. There have been times where I have made decisions that I regretted because I fell right back into what I was trying to decide. It was a premature decision. But when I made the decision to fully surrender to God, especially with preaching, not one time have I ever regretted it. Thought a lot about it, but I've never regretted it. When I have walked away from major issues of my life, things that could have absolutely destroyed me, my marriage, my anything like that. Walking away from those things, saying no to them finally, and saying yes to Jesus, I have not one time ever regretted walking away from the things that I knew were not okay for me to do. That is true repentance. He says not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Left to ourselves, which is what the Pharisees were doing, Andrew Murray states it this way. He says, religious self-effort. You know what that means? Well, I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. Religious self-effort always ends in sinful flesh. Well, I'm trying to do it all on my own, because that's what God wants me to do. No, no, no. He doesn't want you to do it on your own. He wants you to do it through him. He wants you to surrender all of it because you can't do it on your own. If you try to practice all of this stuff on your own, you will fail. He goes on to talk about if we surrender to the Spirit, this is the Spirit-filled life that we're called to have. Andrew says, nothing will help you unless you come to understand that you must live every day under the power of the Holy Ghost. Every day, every minute, every second, 
Now, many of you all might be thinking, because this is what I would have thought if I were sitting in your shoes. Can you really sit in shoes, sitting in your seat? Here's what I would have thought. Are you asking me to be a religious fanatic? Are you asking me to walk around thinking, oh, Jesus, what should I do now? Talk to me, Lord. A little bit. Please don't put your hands out and squint your eyes. But yeah, when an opportunity comes up, you're not sure what you need to be doing, you should say, Lord, I need a little help here. But here's the kicker. When things come up that you already know the answer to, you don't have to pray about it. You already know the answer. It's already been told you right here. Should I cheat on my wife? No. Should I click that button to look at porn? No. Should I speed? Maybe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. There's a portion of our lives at which things have already been set in motion that we don't even have to consider what we're supposed to do. We already know. But the majority of our lives, things come at us so fast and in so many different directions with so many variations, with so many good-sounding things attached to it, we may not know. But he does. He knows who you are. He knows where you're at, what you're doing, what you're going to have to face down the road. And he will direct you efficiently and effectively if you will fully surrender to him. He will direct you where you need to go. Why? Because his name is on the line. It's for his righteousness and for his name that he leads us down the path of what we are supposed to do. That's what he wants. That's what he offers And we walk around like, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, probably because he's already told you and you didn't like what it looked like. Your focus was already off and you were too worried about what everybody else was going to say. Maybe if we surrender our lives and not caring what it looks like to everybody else, changing our vision and our focus to solely on him, we will always hear what he wants us to do. That is the problem with these men. Their focus was way off. And they lost sight because they were more worried about the religiosity. Repentance is to turn away from sin and self by turning to righteousness through submission to, the holy, to a holy God. It's all about full surrender. Full surrender. Every morning when you wake up, God, you know what? I'm yours today. Every instance that you have that you're not quite sure, say, God, you know what? I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, but I'm going to surrender to you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to guide me in the right way. And in those instances where we already know, God, I'm going to surrender that you give me the strength to do what I already know I'm supposed to do. Folks, it's time we surrender ourselves. Not just parts of us, not just the easy things, but all of us. All of me needs to be surrendered to the Lord. That's the problem with the Pharisees. They surrendered in the beginning to the law and they protected it, but they became about themselves and they missed out on the very message that was in the law and the prophets. They missed it because he was standing right in front of them. Would you recognize him? As the praise teams comes, let me 
ask you some questions. Number one, when questioning God, is your vision a little off? Are you focused on the wrong things? Or are you simply too worldly-minded? When you're questioning God, which it's okay to ask those questions, but make sure that you're asking in the right way, that your vision may need to be tweaked. That maybe you're too worried about what everybody else is going to say, and so you can't hear from him effectively or correctly. Or maybe you're just looking totally in the wrong direction. When we question God, when we ask those hard questions, it needs to be from a fully surrendered heart to be open to whatever he's going to tell you. And that's scary, that's intimidating, and that's not what our human heart wants. But may the spirit that you claim lives within you ring truer than anything else and supersede your emotional spot that you're in and lead you to the cross to uh, surrender fully, to hear from him completely. Number two, which son are you? Are you the son that always says no but will think about it and come back? Hope so. Or are you the son that will say, oh, yes, Lord, yes, yes, and then cancel the very next opportunity you can? Or just forget? Number three, have you fully surrendered yourself to experience the fullness of God? It's a fair question. Some of you are living lives that you feel a little empty, like there's just that little spot that you just like, you can't figure out what to put there, Right? Maybe it's a portion of your life that you haven't fully surrendered yet. Maybe it's time to say, God, I've tried this and I've tried this and I've tried this, but I can't figure out how to plug that hole. What is it? I am open to whatever it is. I will surrender whatever you bring to my mind. And I realized when I just said that, many of you just went, nah, no, mm mm-mm. Because that's scary to us. We like what's comfortable to us, whether it's sin or not. And Christ is asking for us to change, to let go, to surrender it all. So the question I ask you this morning, have you fully surrendered everything to him? He's a good God. He wants to take care of you and meet your needs. It's time to surrender this morning. God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the completeness of your word and the honesty of just being so good. Lord, we find ourselves in pickles all the time of what should I do here? What should I do there? And may we not be pharisaical of claiming to know you, but not fully surrendering to you. May we be careful, God, that our vision is clear. That our focus is always on doing what is right. And that we do not care what the world will say about us living for truth. But Lord, that can only happen with a fully surrendered life. It can only happen by daily saying, I'm yours, all of me. I ask for wisdom and discernment for each of the hearers that are here today. Those that are listening not only to my voice, but to your voice, that you give them the courage to hear and to see the things that you are calling to their mind even now and give them the courage to do something about it. 
Lord, I am tired of living with worry. I'm tired of being anxious. I'm tired of living with these things that I'm not quite sure. God, I need your direction even for me. I want to know. I don't want to be scared about what anything else can do to me because I love you. and I want to serve you with all that I have. Thank you for being that God. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for speaking as I know you already have and continue to do. God, just give them the courage to do something. Help them to, help them to wrestle with you. But to willingly surrender all that they have to you. In Jesus' name.